This is a HeadGum Podcast. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. If you enjoy Black Girl Nerds, then welcome to Wonderland, the Wonderland podcast brings together leaders in social justice and pop culture for intimate conversations and game-changing insights on the power of pop culture to change the world. Follow hosts Tracy Van Slyke and Bridget Antoinette Evans down the rabbit hole with Ajin Poo of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, Alicia Garza, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Alyssa Rosenberg of the Washington Post, Rashad Robinson of Color of Change, and Nerds of Color co-founder Sean Taylor, as well as many, many more. Each episode explores the intersection of human nature, pop culture, and social change. It's smart, it's engaging, it's fun, and you'll never look at the power of pop culture and storytelling to create a more just and equal world the same way again. Go to www.thisiswonderland.us or download the Wonderland podcast now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Wonderland, where we explore the connections between pop culture, human nature, and social change. I'm Bridget Antoinette Evans. And I'm Tracy Van Slyke. Tracy and I are culture change strategists. Basically, we use stories and pop culture to change the world. And this process is what we call culture change. We go about changing our stories so that we change our ideas so that we can change our world. And to be clear, culture change isn't just a random evolution that happens without our say or some pie-in-the-sky ideal. It's actually a field of work. It's serious. And we're going to dig into it and learn all about it here. Our teachers are going to be a group of brilliant experts from wildly different fields. It's a lot of fun. We'll talk to everyone from neuroscience to Hollywood, from journalism to movement building. My name is Alicia Garza. I'm Diana Sun. My name is Heidi Boisvert. Christina Jimenez. Rashad Robinson. My name is Alyssa Rosenberg. My name is Ryan Sensor. Sean Taylor. Aijen Poo. Socket Sony. Skylar Brown. Rachel Lloyd. Shanti Collins. My name is Kenyatta Cheese. Mahio Tusi. Nanthara Sen. Wonderland is what we want to be able to do every day. We want to crawl into brilliant people's brains. We want to discover things we don't know already. We want people to lose their job titles and their sense of belonging only in Hollywood or advertising or social justice and really imagine what's possible at the intersection of all of these worlds. I just wondered, do our stories matter? Is anyone listening? And should we continue sharing stories? What's a vision that puts caregivers and the least visible among us at the center. What does success look like with an industry that is changing so fast? A lot of the things that can make writing better, that's also a place where you can do better political work. How do we create messages that are thoughtful and compelling and don't support shitty behavior? We're breaking ground this season. Don't miss an episode, so subscribe to Wonderland on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Teresa Pichenley, and I play Fiji Kavanaugh on Midnight Texas. You are now listening to those Black Girl Nerds podcasts. Hi guys, I'm John Boyega and you're now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Enjoy Black Girls Rock. Alright, you know what it is, what it was, what it will be. It's your main man, Jason Mitchell, and you are rocking with Black Girl Nerds. Hello, my name is Corey Glover, I'm from the band Living Color, and right now you're listening to Black Girl Nerds. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends, all the way from Hollywood. 
nerves for black girl nerves. Yeah. Better shake your booty for black girl nerves. Better shake your booty for black girl nerves. Better shake your booty for black girl nerves. Thanks for tuning in to episode 135 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is the Sundance edition episode and trust me, there will be many more episodes to come featuring all of our experiences and interviews from Sundance Film Festival. Had an amazing, amazing time over on the mountain in Park City, Utah and had a chance to sit down with some celebrities. So in this episode, we feature the following. Actress Tessa Thompson, Tiffany Vasquez of Giphy, actors David Diggs and Raphael Casal. Sorry to bother you and blind spotting were the highlights of Sundance 2018 and we sat down with the actors from that film and we got to learn a little bit more about Giphy and had a roundtable discussion with Tiffany along with co-hosts Joy and KB to talk about some of our favorites at Sundance and not so favorites. So sit back, relax, and enjoy BGN 135, featuring Tessa Thompson, Tiffany Vasquez, David Diggs, and Raphael Casal. The first segment is hosted by yours truly and co-hosted by Valerie. The second segment is hosted by yours truly and co-hosted by Joy and KB. And our third segment is hosted by Jacqueline. Enjoy! Sorry to Bother You is a 2018 comedy fantasy sci-fi film written and directed by Boots Riley in his directorial debut. It stars Lakeith Stanfield, Army Hammer, Tessa Thompson, Stephen Yun, Jermaine Fowler, Omari Hardwick, and Terry Crews. The film had its premiere at the Sundance Film Festival on January 20th of this year. What is Sorry to Bother You about? It's about a telemarketer who discovers a magical key to business success and uncovers the macabre secret of his corporate overlords. The following interview features actress Tessa Thompson, who plays Detroit, the girlfriend of Cassius Green, played by Lakeith Stanfield. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. I am here with the amazing Tessa Thompson, who is currently in the film Sorry to Bother You. She plays the role of Detroit. And she's here to talk to us about that. Tessa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, my goodness. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. So, um, first and foremost, um, this brilliant avant-garde, quirky, and eccentric comedy, which takes place in Oakland. Uh, let's be frank. We don't see many quirky black stories coming out of Oakland. Um, I wanted to know, while reading this script, what were your first thoughts that popped in your head about this story and why you decided to take the role? I think there were so many things that the film is doing thematically that were of interest to me. Um, you know, about identity, about uh, you know what's important to you, whether it's personal success and how you set that barometer, or having real integrity. How do you have integrity if you're not sure what you're after or what's important to you? And I thought those were really universal themes. And then inside of it, like you like you said, I think there's you know not a lot of projects that occupy space of magical realism or that are absurdist that you see a lot of black and brown faces and those movies have historically really been movies that I've loved and have been attractive to me but I've always felt like they weren't available to me and my and my talent you know I would watch the films of Michelle Gondry or Spike Jones or Paul Thomas Anderson I guess to a, a lesser extent but but all those folks and thinking like wouldn't it be cool to make a film like that and I just don't see that a lot. Now I think you're seeing it, you know, with films like Janixa Bravo, who made a film called Lemon, you know, that is a weird film made by a black woman and talking about race in really irreverent uh, ways, you know, and daring to not be entirely palatable to a wide audience. And I think that that's a freedom that all filmmakers, all storytellers should, should have, should possess. And so I'm specifically interested in, in filmmakers of color that, that want to occupy that space, that come from that lensing and, and working with them. Detroit's whole aesthetic speaks to me on a cellular level. 
from her hair, her earrings, and they all have these incredible metaphorical messages um, to her very unique approach as an artist. Are there any aspects of Detroit's personality or style that matches your own? Um, I wish I could say yes and that I was that cool, but probably not. So the earrings were all embedded into the piece. They were all stage direction. They were set pieces that Boots wrote into it. Everything else was really a collaboration with Deirdre and myself, Deirdre Govan, who was the, the costume designer. Um, for example, she wears, Detroit wears this shirt that says the female, the future is female ejaculation. And that's a shirt that I source from a feminist book and craft store called Other Wilds, a queer, you know, queer store. Um, and it was important to me that she have looks like that because I just I just wanted her to occupy this space in film iconography. I wanted you to take a be able to take a screenshot and go, wow, who is that? Sort of the same way that you know Kate Blanchett in Eternal Sunshine: The Spotless Mind has this crazy hair and her orange sweatshirt, and you know you just it's it jumps on screen, and I just feel like I have an or Run Lola Run, what Franco Patenta looks like in that movie with that fire red hair, and I just feel like. You see that with white women in films so often, and I just haven't seen that necessarily. You know, I want I want a character that feels like Prince, but on screen. You know, that feels like they can break boundaries and and um, and so yeah. So so that was a collaboration with Boots, and, and he's just into that <laughs> anyway. So it wasn't easy. To, it wasn't hard to convince him. I I feel like Sorry to Bother You is going to be one of those quotable movies where we'll eventually like evolve into memes on social media. <laughs> And, and there's so many great movements in this film. What was your favorite scene or your favorite moment working on this? I think probably, and this is selfish because it's a moment of my own, but I have a performance piece in the film. And um, there was so much about it that felt really daring and, and scared me, frankly. Um, and also, I guess I don't want to spoil it because I don't know when this will come out, but there's some mechanics in it. So it meant that a part of my performance meant that I was literally doing something that I had never done before either on stage or on screen or in a in a performance space um and so I really loved that that just having to have that sort of abandon and also trust in a in who you're collaborating with that you go all right I'm going to leave this in your in your hands and that so that really jumped to me and then also there's a scene that we have sort of the four main characters are driving in a car together and have this conversation and on set that was a day that it was just us hanging out all together and Jermaine and, and Lakeith and Steven are all just the loveliest humans, just really sweet dudes, so it was nice to ha you know spend time in their company. We here at Black Girl Nerds, we're always talking about nerdy things, so what is something super nerdy or geeky about you that nobody knows about? Oh, God. Um, I'd be surprised to know about. Uh, well, I don't know, because I, I, I tend to like I think sometimes the idea of like nerdy or geeky, you're just like, what do you mean? That's just cool. Like, what? Um, I don't know if it's nerdy or geeky, but I'm really into goats, and not ironically. I really, really, really like goats. Um, so I, I like to visit them. I like to go, like, like literally, I, I've, I have a, a thing. I geek out on goats, really hardcore goats. Like, yes. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm I mean, like, and not ironically. I mean, like, legitimately. Do they vary? Do you like alpacas, too? Oh, I love alpacas. Yeah, I like alpacas. I like goat-adjacent things, okay, too. Okay, okay. But I'm, uh, like, goats, I'm really, 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 really into them. <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. Okay. Go ahead, Valerie. Um, I'm wondering if... Um, what I noticed, and I could be wrong, is that the left eye in the movie is mainly comprised of women. Yeah. Um, was that intentional on, on Boots' part to just include women as the revolutionaries? Yeah, I think it was totally intentional on his part. There are no, I don't, the left eye faction, there, there, I, I don't think there are any men in it. Yeah, we never really had that conversation. I just sort of assumed, and I didn't ask him why, and... So I just totally took it for granted. But you bring up an interesting point, and I should ask him about that. That's something that I, that I definitely noticed. And, and I'm wondering, can you talk about, like, what the challenges have been for you, like, balancing activism and being an actress, celebrity, and if there's, like, been any, like, tension or difficulty balancing that? Uh, yeah, in terms of 
time, I guess, which is why it's been uh, really incredible for me now to be in the company of a lot of people that are also in my occupation but that are organizing and working. And so it's really helped me restructure the way that I think about it, that activism or community organizing is something that you have to find a way to sort of integrate into your life, you know, somehow, and be a part of a community of people that are constantly doing that work. So if you can't do something one day, somebody else can, and you call on those folks, and you remain accountable to each other. Um, So I've never really had that before, and so that's been incredible. I guess the only other thing is sometimes, and I think this is changing more and more, and I'm certainly interested in in it really changing, but I think Hollywood is a space where you have to navigate politically sometimes and so sometimes within that space if you have radical ideas it can be tricky Um, and it's a really small community as well but I think that that's really useful in a way I I hope that we're getting to the point for for my money there's no growth without tension Um, and so sometimes being in in a confined space in a small incestuous community and and being able to talk to each other and really, and really have some potentially uncomfortable conversations that get you really on the same page so that you can try to create change, which is what you know, I'm feeling now. I'm in a, you know, lucky enough to be working with folks that really want to create systemic change, and I think if you want to do that, you have to be available to have some, to have some discomfort. And when you speak of the discomfort, I'm wondering, what do you suggest, like, how do we bridge the gap um, between, you know, sometimes things get lost in translation. And I, and I wonder how we can bridge the gap in communication between uh, maybe celebrity activists and those of us who are, I don't know, who do activism in the street or who are online. We all have the same goals, but sometimes the communication gets, I don't know, tricky. So I'm wondering, do you have any suggestions for how we can sort of better foster a community of trust between each other? Well, I think, yeah, I do. I, I think we just need to get in the same room. You know, I mean, I, I think it's it's so tricky now because with social media, we have access to each other in a way that we never have before, but sometimes we feel satisfied by retweeting or you, you have this sort of mercurial relationship online with, with people, with with thought leaders, um, you know, with with activists, with people in the social sphere, but you don't necessarily get in the same room. And I think that that's really, really vital. And that was something, you know, there was a lot of talk back and forth about the value of women wearing black on the Golden, you know, at the Golden Globes, for example. But I think symbolically, it was something that was really incredible because it was also tied to something that was much more meaningful um, in the form of this legal defense fund and, and that that will be across industries. But one of the really incredible things was that there were these organizers that frankly have been doing this work forever and know so much about it. So it's not about creating a new movement at all because the movement is it's already happening. It's, it's how, do we, how do we pull our collective resource, our intelligence, our anger, our fire, you know, um, and it doesn't always mean that we're going to have the same approach, you know. That was something that I learned really profoundly when I was working on Selma, you know, and studying Diane Nash. She was such a radical thinker of that group, you know, and, and, and also displaced wildly because she was a woman and also displaced even more because she was a pretty woman and what that did to her and how that marginalized her sometimes in the context of the movement. But I think that movement wouldn't have been as strong if there weren't such different voices that, that had, you know, had skin in the game with each other. That even if they didn't agree, they're going to stay in that room until they figure out. And sometimes it meant that there was a little bit of, of someone having to soften a little bit or to get a little brave and get a little more radical so they could get on the same page. And that's what I think, you know, I hope that, that we can do. I guess my last question is, um, I'd like to write more about some of the successes of Time's Up and the Me Too movement, what what are some of the successes that you've noticed that you'd like others to know that may not be, I don't know, televised, vocalized, or whatever? Well, I think, so, uh, Time's Up, as I understand it, because I'm, you know, one of hundreds of members, volunteers, um, but is this umbrella term, essentially, <laughs> For this campaign, and one of the elements of the campaign, which has been the big, you know, success that's been in the media, is this legal defense fund that now is, you know, 18 million dollars that's been raised from 
50 states, 67 countries, so it's global. It's made a global impact, and we'll help people across industries, all people. So that's been something that's incredible. But beyond that, I think within it is really talking about initiatives. So Jill Soloway, for example, is working on something called 5050 by 2020 with, with women like Angela Robinson, you know, asking. Yes, we love her. Yeah, love her. So asking workplaces to, you know, if you want to have safety in a workplace, then it needs to be equitable because we find when there are more women in the workplace and particularly women in positions of power, then sexual abuse and assault goes down. So if you say you, you, you want to help combat those issues, then just hire more women. And oh, by the way, when you hire more women, they also have to be of color and they also have to be queer and they also have to be disabled women. And so there are parameters around that. There's literally technology that's being invented to help corporations see what they're what they look like in terms of parity um, and so I think there will be real accountability there's there's so many conversations with people like Stacey Smith at the Annenberg you know who has a model for how you make real inclusion contractual um, I think that we'll be hearing more and more about initiatives that get started under the Time's Up umbrella, but they're really, really far-reaching. I mean, there's women in the group that are talking about empowering the next generation, but also media literacy and, and how we teach sex education in schools and what we tell young women and young men about their bodies. And by the way, what about people that aren't gender-conforming? You know, do they even have a space in, in, in school education to understand, you know, their, their sexuality and, and their bodies and their power over it? So I feel like there's so, there, there's so much work to be done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your truth. And thank you for your work. And sorry to bother you. Oh we gosh. love it. Can I just first say that I'm such a fan of Black Girl Nerds that y'all mean a lot to me? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Tiffany Vasquez is an editor over at Giphy, where she helps curate the large library of gifts. Tiffany also has worked over at Turner Classic Movies, otherwise known as TCM, as the Saturday daytime host. Thank you for tuning in to this Black Girl Nerds podcast episode, Sundance Special Edition. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. Very excited here to have a guest who... You may have seen her work on TCM, and she's also over at Giphy, Ms. Tiffany Vasquez. And I've got my co-hosts, KB and Joy, joining us on this fantastic roundtable discussion about our thoughts on Sundance 2018. Tiffany, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, first of all, tell us about your work at Giphy. What do you do there, and what what is Giphy for anybody that's living under a rock and doesn't know? <laughs> I'm the content manager uh, in charge of all film-related content, and Giphy is the world's largest search engine for all GIFs, whether you pronounce them GIFs or GIFs. Um, we're hard G's, team hard G over here. But uh, as far as GIFs go, obviously they've become a major source of language essentially and all over the internet uh, in your texts in your Facebook conversations on Twitter um, everywhere so we have all that content we have a great partner base so we have partners like A24 who's big at Sundance we have partners like Star Wars official Star Wars content we have the Oscars the Academy Awards giving us official content and we organize that we curate that we make sure that we get films from all walks of life we really really want to be inclusive for every kind of gift for every kind of person and that's pretty much what we do and that's why we're here at Sundance to just continue that conversation have any of the featured gifts um, over at Giphy been featured here at Sundance in any of the films? For a lot of the Sundance films, it's actually us trying to get them on board because for so many films, uh, trailers don't even exist. A lot of films are, are just being completed yep. right before the festival. So... It, more than anything, it's us watching the film, seeing what would make a great Giphy page, yeah. and, and then meeting a lot of these um, partners and, and distributors and saying, hey, you, you need to be on Giphy, we could work together, and let's go from there. And that's usually what happens. How much of a, a role does Giphy play in the marketing and promotion process? of getting a film out there? I'd say a pretty big role at this point because it's now at the point where if you want to promote a film, then you have to have social media. There's like no alternative. And you have to have a Twitter account. And if you're using Twitter and you want to promote your movie, are you going to use a picture or are you going to use a GIF? 
you're, you're going to want to use a GIF. Why would you even want to just use a still image when you can literally, when you have a moving picture, <laughs> when you have a motion picture, it's a moving image and you want to be able to show a little bit of that. Um, any film, Girls Trip had the best, had the best GIFs and they have an yes. official page on Giphy. And I, not that that film really needed much promotion because that film um, was stellar on its own and I really don't think that they even needed to sell themselves. But, um, <laughs> With that said, it deserved all the marketing efforts, and and their gifts are amazing. And why would we not want? Why would we want a still image of Tiffany Haddish? We love her, but come on, like yeah. you want a gift? Yeah, she's super animated. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously you work with with Jasmine uh, mm-hmm. Lawson, yeah. who's the homie. So shout out to Jasmine, <laughs> uh, who's the culture editor. Yes, and a lot of the work that she does is to make sure that we have inclusive gifts so if we're talking about moving images making sure that they reflect the people in the world that we live in for you especially being Latina um, have you ever had an opportunity to partner with Jasmine to make sure that we have more Latinx inclusion in gifts as well absolutely before before Jasmine started we had already had a, a base work in line she more than exponentially increased that that venture and and she's been amazing at doing so but we um before then really wanted to make sure that if you search beautiful on giphy what are you getting are you only getting a certain type of search result we even had people tweet us like yo i did a side by side of beauty on google and beauty on giphy and i gotta tell you like you guys really did that because there are different types of body images. There are different age groups. There are different ethnicities. There are different religions represented um, across the gender identif- identification spectrum. So, like, t- to be able to hear that from somebody is super important. Um, we've done efforts with Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We have, um, we have an Obama channel, which is, like, one of the <laughs> best things ever. We did so many things for Black History Month, and we're going to continue to do that. We have a great international editor. Her name is Priya, and she's going in and making sure there are gifts representing countries in Asia, countries. Um, she's doing so well with um, Indian content. We need all of that. People should never be have to search a GIF, and if they want something winking, if they want something from a movie that really speaks to them, they should not be able to not find that. We need to have that. If, if it's a movie that speaks to you and it represents who you are and your experience, it needs to be on Giphy. I think you bring up an excellent point where I think oftentimes, like, level one of what those gifts represent is saying, making sure, like, if you're looking up black girl, there's a black girl. But other descriptors like smart and beautiful, things of that nature, they should have that representation as well. I think that's that that second layer of, of, that, of that, uh, that, that representation of what we kind of like change our form our thoughts and minds on what those mean Completely. and so I, I love that you guys are thinking about that too and kind of getting more deeper than as opposed to just like the physical and saying like typing in la- la- Latina yes coming up Latina but if I'm talking you know typing in intelligent or right. typing in smart or whatever that I'm also seeing her as well yeah one of my biggest frustrations is if you just like google the word Latina and if you look up um a lot of image results for that, you're going to see half-naked women like dancing to bachata. And it's like, okay, that can be one experience, but don't you dare like give me only that. Like, mm-hmm. That is not my experience growing up. I, I need to see some representation of myself. And so when you search Latina and Giphy, like, there better be Gina Rodriguez up on there. There better be Jennifer Lopez and Celia Cruz. Like, there needs to be the complete spectrum of what a Latina is. And that's obviously not just one skin tone. That's a lot of, that's, uh, we're multiracial. We, our ethnicity goes everywhere. And, and we need to be representative of that. And if we're not, we're not doing our job. Right. No, so. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um... I wanted to kind of go towards us talking about film because this Sundance has been a great experience for us here at Black Girl Nerds. Right, it was your first time, so how was that? It was great, I have to say. Uh, We did a lot of great work. We worked with the Color of Change um, organization, and also we worked with Macro and Pop Collab, and I got a chance to moderate a panel for Sorry to Bother You. So it's it's been a fantastic experience for BGN, um, but I, I really do want to talk about like the movies here, and also like what are Giphy friendly movies. <laughs> um, so first of all, what was your favorite film out of Sundance, and what would be the most like Giphy friendly movie that you would think? 
def- definitely different ways you can define a, a giphy friendly movie. My favorite movie from the festival is Sorry to Bother You. Yes. Yes. Uh, of course, directed by Boots Riley and featuring Tessa Thompson, Lakeith, uh, Stanfield, Army Hammer, uh, Danny Glover, um, Stephen Young. And it's just, it was so refreshing for me to watch. And I think it is a giphy friendly movie because there are some great shots. There are great reaction shots. There are great one liners. It's such a well written script. It's so visually different. And all of those things would make great gifts. I also, they're even just simple shots of Tessa Thompson and her jewelry, which I think um, are statements on their own. And I think they'd be really great ways to communicate certain messages, uh, especially politically charged ones. And I think that would make a great Giphy page on its own. Like if we if we had on the homepage just five gifts of her and her jewelry, I think that would be like so dope. <laughs> I would love that. Um, and, and there are so many other movies where even if it's like an art movie, where um, it's just like great landscape shots and things like that. Those are beautiful gifts too. Like people should be able to search nature and see and see gifts of really really great um, composed shots of, of nature. Maybe in um, uh, I think we're alone now, which had a lot of those and it was just beautiful cinematography. And Reed Morano is such a great director and, and cinematographer. So I, I loved that one too. That was another movie I super dug. It's Peter Dinklage and Elle Fanning, and it's sort of a, a post-apocalyptic, but it's really different than any other post-apocalyptic movie I've ever seen. And um, the performances were excellent. Really, the cinematography was just stunning, and I'm just I just love that Reed Morano really did that. <laughs> and someone even it's a little disappointing. Someone in the crowd asked her at the Q and A. How could you do filmmaking and cinematography? Which, if she was a man, would never (laughs) have been asked that question. And she was like, oh, um, well, I'm the director and I hired my favorite DP, so that's it. (laughs) She was like, I like my DP, so I hired her. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, I would uh, would say if you're talking about Gibby-friendly films, kind of based on the... the, um, kind of qualifiers that you were speaking about, I saw a white rabbit late last night and... Um, I love the character because she's a Korean-American woman based in L.A. And they're, she falls in love with a black girl. So you have these moments where they're having conversations with each other, uh, like laying in the grass, having friendship moments um, as she's like starting to develop feelings for her. And I was like, shots like that where you see women of color being in a, a queer relationship, whether it be a friendship or otherwise, I thought was really sweet. And I would love to see gifts of that. Um, Especially because I don't think we have a lot of those. I would love that too, especially none of them are white, so that's interesting. Usually mm-hmm. interracial relationships has one of them being mm-hmm. white, mm-hmm. so that's really important. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and, and that love is actually one of those terms on Giphy where we were like, okay, love needs to not look a certain, like only one way when you search that on Giphy. That needs to look a lot of different ways. Um, I'd say so. I uh, will echo the sentiments of you both and just say I really did love uh, Sorry to Bother You. I mean, again, obviously, like, there are some very <laughs> harsh racial undertones and then some very light ones that you, like, very, very subtle ones that you have to really pick up on. Um, and I think that it is shot in a very kind of day-to-day realistic type way Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that but a lot of black men specifically can relate to it because there's a lot of pressure um, on black men to kind of be a certain way and um, he's trying to kind of fit into what he feels like is that mold and it's interesting because even his relationship with Tessa, she is trying to tell him, uh, Tessa's character Detroit is trying to tell him just be who you are, you know, and he still is unsure of who that is Um, so um, just that plus with with all of the, the crazy, uh, it's crazy, mm-hmm. but like also not really, um, is, is a good thing. But my favorite film um, that I've actually seen so far is Assassination Nation. Um, I saw it, I, did, I wasn't expecting anything, to be honest. Um, I'd kind of gotten like a little bit of Purge vibes. Um, and to be fair, I didn't watch The Purge, but I knew, like, I, I know the entire story. And so when I saw kind of a bits and pieces of the trailer for Assassination Nation, I thought, okay, maybe this is probably going to be like The Purge, but, like, maybe it won't. Who knows? I will say within, like, the first 30 seconds, <laughs> you're like, wow, okay. Um, but 
surprisingly, Assassination Nation tackles everything. Um, it tackles race, it tackles sexuality, it tackles feminism, it tackles tearing down um, the patriarch, it tackles toxic masculinity, it literally tackles everything. Um, and at the helm of it are four young girls who are the heroines. Um, sorry to bother you, obviously. Um, and one of the really cool giffy moments, I think, would be when Tess is twirling the sign around throughout mm-hmm. the film. So good. And then the really cool, like, flip moment that Steven Young, oh, Squeeze character had. With his body. Yeah, yeah, like, I was just like, that. that's insane. So I could see those as being really good gifts. Um, but one of the conversations that I was having with another film critic about Sundance is some of the really quirky black films that we've seen uh, this weekend. So sorry to bother you being one of them and also blind spotting and how divisive kind of critics have reacted to those films because it seems that the critics haven't quite understood what it's about and as a result they're like, well, you know, I don't really think that this is that great of a film or, you know, it had a bad ending or what have you. And it just makes me wonder when we're thinking about films that deal with these very eccentric avant-garde kind of storylines and when it comes to having these black characters or characters of color why do you receive it differently because if this was a being John Malkovich kind of which I would kind of compare sorry to bother you in that same vein would you react to um, sorry to bother you in a different way if it was a white cast Um, so that's something that I've been thinking about throughout and seeing some of the reviews Um, But I I wanted to know what your take was on how film critics receive some of these films that have these characters of color, that are more quirky and eccentric, compared to the films like Monster and Men and also Monster, which kind of have these traditional narratives that are kind of steeped in black pain and and black trauma, and and those are the ones that always tend to get award nominations. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? Well, first, if there was better representation among journalists and, and critics and film critics in general, we w- I don't think we would be um, having this conversation as much. Like, there should be more writers of color uh, on, in Variety featured on in the Hollywood Reporter. In, in that way, they in, won't be comparing in, Tyrell to Get Out. But exactly, exactly, <laughs> and. And I totally agree with you. When I was watching Sorry to Bother You, I was getting a lot of vibes of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, and things like that. And and why are we... I, I never for a second thought it was um, much different. For sure, it gets way more serious, but I didn't think it was much different vibe-wise for a lot of those scenes. I thought it was totally quirky and enjoyable, and I was I was so into it, and it was reminding me of that um, because it's also they're both also very poignant and... And yeah, if, if there were more people of color writing about these movies and being given the position to be the go-to critic for said for every movie, we wouldn't be uh, this confused as to why so many people are, are thinking that these movies are niche. They're mm-hmm. not niche. They're for everybody, and they're commenting on everything that's happening in the world right now. Right. So um, yeah, I, I, and, I, and I love... I love the quirkiness of blind spotting. See, here's the thing: when a lot of people of color or someone, anyone marginalized, has gone through so much that they are adaptable in a lot of things, and their art ends up speaking on a lot of things, and it ends up having a lot of different vibes. So, something like blind spotting is depressing, but it's also funny. It's yes. natural, and then it also it does so many things, mm-hmm. and it even has performance art in it. And because you can yes. be everything, because you have gone through a lot of things, you have gone through everything, and. And if you have not gone through everything, if you have not had that experience, that may not translate to you. And you may be a top film critic, and you may not then understand that in your review. And then, unfortunately, everyone is reading your review instead of someone else's. Exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I would say that something I've realized in Sundance is oftentimes a lot of white critics are not used to genre breakers mm-hmm. when we're talking about film and television. Um, I think a good example of that is is Get Out, uh, breaking the, the horror genre. I think for people of color, because there is so very few of us in multiple genres, we have to imagine ourselves in the genres that are primarily in white spaces. Um, and so when we do a specific kind of genre-led film, like a Get Out for Horror, uh, in our voice, in our you know presentation, in our people behind the scenes, 
folks who are used to seeing themselves just don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I felt watching Sorry to Bother You because it really breaks the genre of sci-fi to me where it's one of these modern kind of dystopian future-esque films uh, that play around with the sci-fi genre but kind of take and bend the rules to a point where it snaps. Um, and if you are not used to having to imagine yourself in someone else, it's uncomfortable, yes. right? Um, personally, that's not my motherfucking problem <laughs> uh, because we have not had that representation. Um, and while we're getting into a good place where we're starting to have those genre breakers, we still have a ways to go. I'm One of the films I'm looking forward to, it's not necessarily a black film this year, but Crazy Rich Asians is one of the, the number one films I'm looking forward to this year. Uh, because you have an all Asian cast, and I am not Asian in any way, shape, or form, but I want to see that shit. Of course. I just want to see that. I want to see them kind of have these grandiose and ridiculous characters and kind of play outside of those stereotypes in those molds. Yes. If Johnny Depp can be nominated for an Oscar for Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> right. why, Do I have why to is it why that is they're, it all, like, if you need to slavery, be subservient right? Right. Right. in any way, go through all of this pain and horror and trauma? No. We're done. We need to move on from this. Yeah. 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 One thing I will say is that um, even with the, the, the kind of breadth and diversity of films that we've had, we still do have a ways to go yes. for Sundance. Yeah. Like, what do you think inclusion means? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I did see that, and at the Q&A, Gus Van Sant's, one of the reasons for it is, is because at one point, Joaquin Phoenix's character is not disabled, disabled. so they needed the shots of him doing other things. Um, but it's completely a valid point, and I also don't understand why uh, especially people with disabilities they are so under and misrepresented and it's very very disgusting yeah. I mean inclusion has bounds that's mm -hmm. basically what it is like mm -hmm. there's still boundaries very distinct boundaries around yeah. what inclusion really means and maybe once a year we'll kind of push open the fence a little bit and allow like another drop of inclusion in that bucket um, versus just making sure that everyone is truly represented. So what were some films that you didn't really care for? Or is there anything where it just kind of left a bad taste in your mouth where you're just like, I'm not going to see this ever again? <laughs> one, <laughs> one of them was uh, Come Sunday. I, we were talking about this earlier, and it's a movie where Chiwetel Ejiofor plays a um, real-life uh, pastor who at one point decides um, he has just like a, 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 he needs to think about his morals. It, it comes a completely turnaround where he's thinking like, I don't know, if people are starving and dying in certain countries and they have not been um, preached the gospel yet and they have not accepted Jesus into their hearts and then they die, does that mean they go to hell? I really don't think so. And he starts to change his, his mind and th therefore his sermons based on that and his congregation dissolves because of that. And there's like a Billy Graham type character played by Michael Sheen, who was his mentor, and, and all these other people telling him that it's not God, it's the devil speaking to him and telling him these things. And I was really um, interested to see it because I grew up in church and there are a lot of things for me personally that I think are wrong with the church. And I just wanted to see what the conversation would be on that. I really hoped that they were gonna go in and really explore um, these issues where if if God is love, why are we not? Why are we thinking that um, God is so restrictive and purposely sending people to hell, which is a very heavy uh, topic. And plus, I love Chowetelejje for I love Lakeith Stanfield who's in it, and I thought that there was going to be some real exploration of that subject matter, but it kind of just played it safe and danced on the surface and. I was a little disappointed. Um, but for me, the film that I like absolutely never want to see again is Nancy. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, it's completely in the dark, basically. Like, the entire film, there's no sunlight. And I was just like, guys, what is happening? And I know it's a dreary story about, you know, um, a young woman who, whose mom dies, and then all of a sudden she decides that um, she sees a couple on TV who uh, their daughter was kidnapped at a young age, and they're still holding out hope that that daughter is alive and she sees them on TV 
and she decides after looking at the photo that she looks really similar and these are probably her parents and so like I get like the storyline could be great but also it is so slow like it's mostly just them looking at each other like could you be my daughter take off your shoe I want to see if this mark is underfoot could you be my daughter maybe we should just talk about the old days could you be my daughter let's just get a DNA test like it just is like oh my gosh guys let's speed this up like is she the daughter or not like that's like when do we get there because for an hour we're just still trying to figure out if she's the daughter and i'm like what is this dna test coming that we took 45 minutes ago like what she is where are the results i need to know so yes i don't want to see it again oh my gosh uh i would say man it breaks my heart to say this, and I've been saying this. I just the review just uh, got posted on on BlackGirlNerds.com, but Tyrell, man, look, I <laughs> I love Jason Mitchell. I think Jason Mitchell is a very, very, very talented actor. I also think if we're talking about award seasons this year, he has been shut out of the conversation for best actor. Um, his work in Mudbound is actually very phenomenal, if you ask me, uh, and it's a criminal in my personal opinion that he is not but he's probably not going to get nominated for an Oscar for his performance um, he deserves better because of this because Tyrell doesn't make any damn sense, it's aimless Michael Sarah puts on a do-rag at the end of the film, I'm not even joking I just why, I don't know and a wetsuit and a wetsuit, mm-hmm. together? No. That's not the point. The point is, is that why? Swim? Why is that happening in any snip? If it's together or separately, I don't understand. True. But um, the film is aimless, and I think uh, Jamie made a really great point, and I put it in my film too. I don't like comparing two black films because I think we have so many limited black. Is films. it a black film though? <laughs> he I is the center in your review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think right. I think it's a black experience that's centering it. So in my definition, yeah, it's a black film because it's it's the core of the film is what is it like being the only black person in a sea of white people and white cohorts. So I think that's a specific nuanced black experience. Right. So that's why I categorize it as a black film. But in terms of like the actors and like the director, no, it's not yeah. a black film. Yeah. But I think the experience makes it. But that's the issue that, that I had with Tyrell is. They didn't really discuss any kind of racial or social commentary about his blackness. Right. Otherwise, you can put it on those same parallels as Get Out. Yeah. But um, it, it, it potentially could have been a really great film. But like you said, it was aimless. It didn't go anywhere. And essentially, yeah. it was a movie about a guy that was super insecure mm-hmm. that has social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Which that you know they could go somewhere different with that. They could talk about his you know social anxiety. Maybe have a scene with him taking Xanax or something like that to show why he feels the way he does because you don't really see because there's a moment where he he leaves the house and he just wanders off in the middle of the woods we don't know why he does that (laughs) yeah yeah. no 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 but that's so that's my thing where it's like i don't need every black film to be like message like i don't necessarily need that per se i do think that this film had a very solid insight that did not uh, uh, flesh it out and I think that was the issue where I agree with Jamie it really was a lot of it was stemming from drunken paranoia valid drunken paranoia but drunken paranoia nonetheless and like you see Jason Mitchell like legitimately giving a performance and like he's being very earnest because you know he's experienced this before especially because he's like a hood dude from NOLA and like he's around all these different like you know, uppity white people, especially when he's in these, uh, like, Oscar talks and whatnot. And so I know he's this is coming from a personal and, like, legitimate place, but, man, it's just not a good film. It's yeah. it's just, it makes no sense. And there's other, there's two other semi-stinkers, too. The Catcher Was a Spy was boring as hell. I'm sorry. And uh, Generation Wealth I had an issue with. Uh, Lauren Greenville did a great job of terms of examining what is wealth and wealth culture. The problem is that when she was focusing on black people's perspective, they were all either general managers of Magic City or former rappers or big booty strippers. All those people are great, and I love big booty strippers. They're great. They're wonderful. Um, but you can't just have one specific kind of um, scope and trope of what black people are. I think black people want to come in an array of different uh types and so if you would have had a black dentist a black architect and then a general manager of uh of magistrate and a big booty stripper like i would be like all right bet cool we got some we got some range here and i would have liked that but just one set person uh and one set type i had a really big beef with so those are the three films i was just like nah 
I mean, I've already um, left my feedback about Tyrell. Tyrell is definitely on the top of the list. Um, it got really good um, response in the premiere for the movie um, Burden. But I, I just didn't. And I love Garrett Hedlund. He did a fantastic job. Also in Monday. Also, she got um, nominated, too, for Oscar. You got it. Yeah. And I think what I didn't like about um, Burden is this this empathy story towards, you know, a white supremacist. Like, I just feel super uncomfortable about that, especially in the climate that we're in now. Um, but is it, isn't it a story, because I didn't get a chance to see it, and I really wanted to, of it's his based on Yeah, it's based on a true story to actually happen of Mike Burden, but yeah, it deals with him, you know, being brought up in the KKK, and then he meets this woman named Judy, and she has a son that has a black friend, and, you know, she's obviously not a racist, and she loves all folks, and through her, that's when he sort of kind of realizes okay, well, you know, maybe I can give black people and people of color a chance. Right, yeah. Right. So, um... You're like, this didn't occur to you before then? Like, yeah. Like, right now in this moment where she still may be racist, but okay. And then there's, like, the magical Negro trope with Forrest Whitaker's character where he kind of, like, takes him in with his family. So it was just something that I just really didn't want to deal with. Um, but that was it for me. So I, I do want to wrap up our, our, our podcast and just ask you one question that we ask all of our guests. What is something that is super nerdy or geeky about you that nobody really knows about? Um, that nobody really knows about? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. A lot of people... I was going to say I'm really into classic film, but I think a lot of people know about that. Um, so um, it might... It might just be I have a very um, nerdy obsession with SNL, and I kind of hate. I've, sometimes I hate it because it is a problematic show in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But if like seventies, eighties, nineties, I just know all the sketches, and and I, I have. I like it way too much, and that might be my my little nerdy obsession. But I'd say my my obsession with classic film was way stronger. But people know that. I also really <laughs> like nail art. <laughs> nice, nice. So where can our listeners find out more about the work that you're doing and where they can find you on social? On social, I'm at Familiar Face. That's F-I-L-M-I-L-I-A-R-F-A-C-E, Familiar Face. And just go to Giphy. Go to Giphy.com. Um, tweet us if tweet me if there's a movie that you're not finding something that you want to see something that you feel like represents you and you're not seeing it on Giphy tweet me I will make sure that we get that going um, we will we have a great partnerships team we reach out to studios let's we make this happen uh, I want to get every type of content that satisfies people's searching needs and gift needs Tiffany thank you so much for being on the show thank you thank you so much Blind Spotting is a 2018 American comedy film directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. The film had its world premiere on January 18, 2018, in the U.S. Dramatic Competition section at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. David Diggs was also a writer and producer of the film. All right, guys, so here we are at the Sundance Film Festival. We are just hours away from the premiere film, Blind Spotting, Rafael Casal and David Diggs. I was in the audience last night. It was an experience. It was so great for me. What was it like for you guys? It was a trip, man. It was, um, it felt like kind of a completion, even though it's not really done, but just it's been so many years of trying to, of thinking about this and getting it, and then there it was. It's been, you know, we've been, we shot it a little while ago, so we've been piecing it together, and we have seen it a lot, but nobody else has. So it was crazy to sort of sit in an audience, like a real audience full of people, and, and experience it. It was, it was beautiful, yeah. And Raphael, what about you? What is it like? Uh, in many ways, the same. I think we, we've always wanted to bring. Um, this 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 version of the Bay Area to a wider audience, and we're so just excited to 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 present it this way. And like my folks were there, and they'd never seen it before, and some of the cast were there, and they'd never seen it before. And I think that just like upped the adrenaline for everyone. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment at the end, bringing the cast yeah, on stage. I love that. You know, uh, we 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 rolled MC Hammer style. We had like <laughs> like, like you know, thirty just... or fifty people. You know, unprompted. They're, they didn't like come with us. People made the pilgrimage on their own, and wow. I think that was. 
that was powerful to look out and just see like two rows of crew and casts. That's excellent. I'm so glad you brought up the Bay Area because I feel like it was so unapologetic about how it feels to be in the Bay Area. I spent a little time in SF. I used to work for a tech company. We're not going to go into that whole story. (laughs) But I feel like the one thing people maybe don't realize is how schizophrenic Oakland feels right now in a lot of ways because Mm -hmm. there's this whole history and then it's sort of like it got injected with this tech atmosphere thing. So talk about how much that aspect of the movie was important for you guys to tell that part of that story and how hard was it for you? Yeah, well, it's woven into everything in there. You know, the it's it's intentional that the filmmaking is like totally jarring, and it's it's because that exact feeling that you describe, you feel it when you're there, and that's that's how the place feels. All these things are in conflict. That's and why all we at the tip same the time. screen at the top of the movie. Like, the yeah. first thing out the gate is like, I need you to be off kilter because yeah. that's how this is gonna feel. Yeah. Like uh, just a little off balance the whole time. And like the sooner you get used to that, the more fun you're gonna have there. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's really what it is. Like if you just let it. You know, the people who are, are from the Bay and who really live in the Bay, like, are pretty comfortable with the fact that, like, shit's a little messed up. You know? like, I mean, like, like, well, we're going to ride with it and we're going to, you know, turn up to the best of our abilities. That's so true. So I come from a gentrified city. I just moved from Austin, Texas, which oh, yeah. also has, like, that same vibe in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the other thing about the film, too, is it's, I, I put it this way to Jamie when I was talking about it. It's a musical without a melody, but it's definitely got a beat because I feel like every one of y'all's long-form freestyle sets was, like, a musical number. Talk about how it was making, like, when did you make the decision to insert in those lyrical passages? Because if folks don't know, the movie has a lot of freestyle rap battle, sorry, freestyle rap moments between both your character, Miles, and your character, Colin. Yeah, that actually uh, was the initial prompt of, of the film. That was, you know, it, about nine years ago, I was pu- I was putting out so many, like, poetry and music videos online, and, and Justin Keith Calder, our, our producers, found that and, and sent us a note and were like, um, how, you know, uh, how, how about we work on something that's first driven in that way? Uh, and so that's always been in the DNA. Um, the, the the end sequence, which we won't spoil here, is, has been sort of, we've always been working back from that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so verse speaks to sort of the heightened reality and the heightened vocabulary that the Bay Area, are, Bay Area already has. So the way that, that lingua is used, the way that there is sort of a, a cadence, even in the way that I'm speaking right now is used, like that, that is inherent in the region. And so we just went, yeah, and, and like all Bay Area things, dial it up a little bit <laughs> yeah. and, and let it and let it happen and see um see see how 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 densely we can have this conversation over short periods of time so we have Colin sort of having the you know throughout the film it's just getting more and more heightened the way that he's processing as his PTSD takes him further and further out of this buddy comedy and into his own reality yeah that's so great about the PTSD I said to my friend I was like imagine if Edgar Wright was born in Oakland instead of dealing with like 30 something angst he was dealing with <laughs> cops trying to shoot him every day and you got a good vibe in this movie <laughs> <laughs> that's a great cool way to put it <laughs> I love it that's for that reason um, add but, that to the add that you can pull it any minute it's gonna be in the it's gonna be in my piece so um i will definitely say miles's section because we don't want to talk about yours to be because i do feel like we should save that but we gotta talk about this boat scene because oh and we should Let's talk about it with, it with a preference because this is the black Golders podcast and this is sundance and it's a great thing to open up the festival i mean like this is like huge that, yeah. that theater was great but you broke the line and i was up in the rafters and i was like and nobody clapped. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in the wrong audience to do this because if we were in Austin at Fantastic Fest or even at South by, like, we would have jumped up. <laughs> I had to remember where I was. So, so I'm not going to talk anymore about that, you know, because I'm still trying to get accepted next year to Sundance. But, um, <laughs> but what was creating that, 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 it was just bananas. Let's talk about how you created it because it's full of Oakland slang. It's just, it, it feels like a language that nobody probably understood except for five people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, if maybe about, maybe about seven years ago, I did this, um, this, this viral video that was a um, Bay slang top 100 that just like ran on the definitions of all of all these sort of prominent various slang terms, about 95% of them E40 came up with. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so shout out to the God. Yeah. Um, and what we wanted to do was just have, you know, 
I'll have these. I've had these exchanges growing up where people just kind of like code switch between between normal speech and slang. And if you're if you're from there and you're with somebody who isn't, they'll suddenly turn to you and go, "What? What did you <laughs> out of pocket? <laughs> what is it? You know?" And I, I what I wanted to do was just show a scene where it's totally nonchalant, and we sort of sat there and we're like. All right, let's just have this sale moment be entirely, you know, entirely, essentially in verse. So when we talked about those like height, those verse sections. There's a bunch more than the overt ones, right? Mm-hmm. The entire beauty salon beauty scene. Salon. Rhymes. Yes, exactly. The, this whole cadence that's going with the with the slang scene is is in meter, even though it doesn't rhyme. And so we tried to sort of insert the the pulse of the city in all of these moments. And that was just another sort of example of where two people. You know, maybe that dude was from that neighborhood, but most likely he was from Vallejo because that's how we sort of <laughs> switched it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Lance was certainly channeling E40 in that moment uh, to line up and have this sort of common vernacular that lets them both know that they're from here. Yeah. And I think what Miles particularly does throughout the film is tries to flex how much he is rooted in this place. And so I think violence and language become um, immensely important to him. Uh, as a way to make sure that no one thinks he's uh, a newbie. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, as I was again talking about it last night, I was like, imagine being you, and like me, I identify first as a black girl nerd, and then all of a sudden the world around you just made you become a parody. Like, I would lose my mind. So yeah. I, I totally identify with what Miles said. So I don't want to go too deep because we don't have too much time, but Miles and Colin, like the two characters, I'm going to give it real quick, if you could say their friendship is both a gas pedal and a break for both of them in a lot of ways yeah how much is that from y'all's friendship and how much of it is just completely pulled out uh i think our friendship is mostly gas pedal i think like (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) but um (laughs) but i think you know the both of these characters we we chose to tell this story with these two characters because this was the best lens through which we could figure out how to filter the story of a gentrifying Oakland um, they were going to be at odds in certain ways that also illustrated the the difficulties of the changing face of the city right and so um, I think that you're you're absolutely right that they totally need each other and also are you know not enable each other in a, in a particular way that is I think also common in, in male friendships you know and, and that's an, another thing that's going on in the film is um, you know sort of an examination of kind of the the potential like the, the way that like masculinity in air quotes that y'all can't see uh, <laughs> infiltrates everything in male friendships and, and you know sort of can dial things up when they don't need to be dialed up and actually like you know one of the things I love about Miles' character who is so you know outwardly because of what he's going through comes off so violent and so like powder keg and ready to go but when he's around Ashley when he's around his girl you never get any even inkling of that you know what I'm saying there's no hint of violence so it is not that like hits his kid yeah no that's why that question last night bugged me so much I was like we know Miles trust me we all know Miles yeah Yeah, that's the that's the Bay Area right and, and to a certain degree most places that have these 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 tensions boiling in that way is like you you by combining two or three different communities right on top of each other we see there's not just in gentrification but just dense populations in general you get these extremes that come out of it because partially in reaction to feeling you know like yeah. you're, you're you're being encroached upon in some way um and miles is just an extension of of that feeling yeah, well, that's great. Again, I, I love the film. I can't talk enough about it. It's still pretty early, but it's definitely on my top. I wish you guys the best in getting it sold, bringing it to the masses in the world, because I definitely feel it's a film that more people need to see. Uh, I appreciate you for doing it. Before we sign off, though, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, we're a site built on nerdy women of color and what we geek out on, and I feel like you guys are, you know, you're musicians and theater nerds and film lovers and everything, but... What's the secret thing that you geek out on? Like, what's your super secret nerdy behavior? Super secret? I don't know that I keep any of them secret. <laughs> Maybe not at this point. You do a lot of interviews, I so know, they I probably know. told it. <laughs> you might have some You know, have, have we talked about MK Jameson? I, I mean, that's... No, we didn't talk about it in um, our last interview, so yeah. let's... She's my... I mean, that's my shit right now. The, <laughs> the, yeah, I just finished the, the 
Broken Earth, finally, you know, that, which oh. is like, was mind altering, but the, the, the fucking, um, you know, the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms was like, was, cha- I mean, that, I read that, that trilogy first, and it, she consistently does things with books that shouldn't be possible, you know? She's My like, editor's over there cheesing because she's so happy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's the, she's the best. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, the, the best out, and every time I read a new one of her books, it's just like, God damn, you get about halfway through it and have to put it down because it's just, <laughs> like, you're not supposed to be able to do that. Writers shouldn't be able to do that, so I I'm, I love her, and she, we had, I got to super nerd out because we actually, my band clipping put, uh, some references to her songs in our last album and she came and saw Hamilton while we were recording some tracks for that album at night and hit me up on Twitter and I was like look you should probably stop by the studio right now so we can play you these songs because your characters are in them and she totally came by and we went out for like Cuban sandwiches afterwards and I like I just want your life to alright stop talking stop it. I feel what about you um, I you know I've spent sort of years working first as a graphic designer and then as an editor and I, I, my my nerdy thing is fonts <laughs> yo oh, that is so I'm real like, and you judge my bet too I judge harsh you harsh like if, like if I see a, if I see like a bad courier font or something on somewhere <laughs> I'm just like you lazy <laughs> You you know. the, the process for the poster for this film was so <laughs> but nuts. But the poster is so dope, Yeah. We went through so many different different people and folks to try to find it, and then I would just spend, like, all night going through defont.com, just, like, 10,000 fonts with blind spots. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and you can type it in and just scroll. And people would think, I'm going probably scroll for, like, an hour. It'd be 7 a.m. And I'd be like, Diggs, here's another thing. <laughs> I'm like, what do you think? Like, fast asleep. Like, here's the, okay. And he would get so mad if a designer sent a version of the flower with, like, some fonts that you could find in any regular like, program. Like, this right now. Are you saying you like, That's, like, a Claris word font. What are you, you embarrassed like, what are we paying you for? Yeah, you embarrassed oh, Back some hostile email internally. Right. We're not going to say that. But. All graphic designers, if you want to work on any of these guys' projects, no, they better come correct. Don't come, <laughs> come with them basic fonts. Alright, thank you guys. <laughs> the Black Girl Nerds Podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Broadnax, MR Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Art19, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.